This is your morning wake-up call on Sports Country. Grab a cup of coffee and hang with us every weekday morning for the latest news, sports, and other things going on around the world and in your backyard. Now, here's your host, Gene Gums. Well, good morning, everybody. It is six minutes past nine o'clock here in Hayesville, North Carolina, a rainy monsoon-like morning here in Hayesville, North Carolina. Welcome to a Wednesday morning wake-up call on Sports Country Radio. Well, it's warm, I'll say that, but man, we had some uh, massive rain overnight, still raining steady, thunder and lightning and all kinds of fun stuff, but uh, I guess it could be worse. Those of you up in New England, I guess looking forward to some snow I see again in the next couple of days, and you can have it, uh, but uh, welcome. And uh, we've got a lot to talk about this morning. The baseball uh, labor negotiations, again, making very little progress yesterday. Uh, pessimism reigns. Uh, although I, I, it was interesting, uh, I was watching the Major League Baseball Network yesterday, which, you know, frankly, uh, considering uh, how MLB goes now and, and any of these commentators know, if they, you know, like uh, ask Al Leiter, you don't, so you say something they don't like, and you're, you're going to be out of a job. So I guess you have to take that with a grain of salt. But at the same time, John Paul Morosi last night on uh, on the Major League Baseball Network said, hey, look, how many times have we uh, seen things happen where everybody's like, oh, gloom and doom, and you know the deadline is this and deadline is that, and then all of a sudden in the last couple of days, everybody wakes up and uh, and deals get done. So you know while the, the, the pace has been slow to be sure – I guess, you know, if you want to look at the glass half full, you know, there's still some hope. I mean, I, look, I hope that uh, that they're able to get it done, but uh, we'll see. We'll get to all that in just a minute. Of course, uh, the world uh, watching what's going on over in Ukraine. Uh, <laughs> Vladimir Putin just uh, continuing to pour on the rhetoric. And you want to... You don't have to know anything more, folks, about what goes on in Russia. You know, they can call him President Putin, and they can say all day long if they want to that they have democratic elections, yada, yada, yada. You need to know nothing more than this. After all this went down in Ukraine, the Duma, which is the uh, uh, their, their version of Congress, unanimously backed what the Russian military is doing in Ukraine, unanimously. Folks, if it is a democracy, nothing is unanimous. Jesus, you can't get people uh, uh, to agree uh, on the uh, color of grass. You know what I mean? And yet uh, they're, they're saying unanimously that they support what uh, the Russians are doing in Ukraine. It's just insane. Absolutely insane. And I know we're having uh, some video issues uh, on on Facebook. I apologize again. You know, uh, uh, the, the crappy Internet that we have to deal with down here, uh, in addition to uh, 
what's going on with the weather right now because I have HughesNet. Uh, so that means that uh, uh, it's satellite internet, so it's kind of like uh, a direct TV. If it's raining and uh, you never know so uh, what you're going to get. But I apologize. We'll try to get that back as soon as we can. Uh, but anyway, you know, so you can't get people to agree on anything, and yet the Doom is going to say unanimously uh, that it's a good idea. And, of course, you know, the world leaders have all reacted, all kinds of sanctions, yada, 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 um, which is great. You know, at the end of the day, I don't know how much difference it's going to make other than we know that it is going to cost us. You know, it is going to uh, uh, cost us at the gas pump. That's what it means. You know, it means it's going to hurt us. And there's nothing that we, we can do about that. You know, uh, there's talk about suspending the, uh, the gas tax, the federal gas tax of 18 cents a gallon. Uh, look, uh, there's two things about that. Not that I'm not in favor of getting rid of the gas tax or suspending it. The problem is, is that that's also what goes to fix the roads and bridges. And do you really believe that that 18 cents a gallon is going to make a difference, and that e even if they do that, I can absolutely see owners of gas stations and oil companies and stuff jacking up the price of that extra 18 cents a gallon so you don't even see the difference. You know, So uh, Joe Biden can say whatever he wants. And look, this isn't about Joe Biden. This isn't about like Joe Biden is a terrible leader, You know, uh, anything like that. This is just a mess. But the world has to stand up. And, uh, and and they're doing that. Let's hope that it doesn't result in out-and-out -out war. You know, I saw a thing this morning on the Today Show. They said this could be the worst war in Europe since 1939, which was the start of World War II. Jesus, I hope not. I hope not. You know, and, and if you're in Latvia or Estonia or Poland or anywhere over there, you know, and you see what's going on, you have to be nervous. So let's hope uh, that this is just a lot of saber rattling, but you know, and maybe, maybe Putin is going to just take these separatist regions and, and kind of claim that little bit of territory and then back off just so he gets something out of the deal so he can save face. It's not ideal, but if it is, if that's what we have to do to keep the peace, that might be what we have to do. So we'll see, but it's a scary time. And you know, the thing, other thing we have to worry about here in the United States and, and think about this folks, uh, you know, we can levy, levy all the sanctions and do all the stuff that we're going to do. The scary part for me is that the Russians may retaliate with cyber attacks. You know, and we saw, remember what happened not long ago when they had the cyber attack um, on one of our oil companies? And remember what that did to the gas prices here in the United States? And by the way, they've never gone back down. Because once once oil companies get the prices up, they are not going to go in the other direction. But, you know, we have to worry about cyber attacks by the Russians and, and, you know, not just on oil companies or but it could be on other infrastructure. It could be on our banking system. Can you imagine, you know, if they start attacking the banking system here in the United States? Uh, you know, and that's, that's gotta be a little bit scary to folks. I was just thinking about that this morning, you know, maybe, 
and I've never been this kind of a doomsday paranoia kind of guy, but maybe, you know, I got to go to the bank and take out some money. So I have some money in the house just in case, um, just in case the banks get disrupted. You know, you just never know. I, I hope it doesn't come to that, but it's something that we have to be aware of. So anyway, all right, enough of that. The doomsday. Uh, let's hope that cooler heads prevail. N- not, you know, that doesn't generally happen in the world of uh, of politics, but we shall see. All right, let's get uh, to sports. And uh, not great news if you're a baseball fan yesterday. They met for a grand total of an hour and a half. An hour and a half. We're 84 days into this thing. They met for an hour and a half. They got together for an hour, took a break, because God knows an hour is just, that's just too taxing. And then came back with this uh, small breakout section that lasted about 35 minutes. An hour and a half after 84 days. It's almost like we took a step back yesterday from the conversations that were going on on Monday. You know, and I was reading an article in the New York Post this morning. And, uh, you know, just about kind of the, you know, the whole doomsday scenario about the, the season. But what was interesting to me was reading the comments, and the comments are almost all anti-player. Almost all anti-player. And, you know, you know, my wife will say things like, God, it's ridiculous the kind of money that athletes make, yada, yada. I, I get it, but it's also ridiculous the kind of money that actors make, that musicians make. But they're all just trying to make a living. And an athlete's career, un- by the way, unlike... Unlike an actor's career or unlike a musician's career, a professional athlete's career is uh, short. You know, if you're lucky, you know, in, in some sports, you can stick around for 15, 20 years. But by and large, that doesn't happen. By and large, probably the, uh, probably the average professional athlete's career lasts five, six, seven years. You know, if you look at just the NFL, it's significantly shorter than that. But so they have to maximize their earning potential in the short amount of time that they have to, to do what it is that they are best at. So, you know, is it, you know, does it make sense that a, a professional athlete like Max Scherzer is making $43 million a year with the Mets this year? Absolutely not. It's ludicrous. But it's what the market will bear. It makes sense based on what everybody else in the league is making and, and, and the, the talent level, et cetera, just like, you know, uh, George Clooney, Tom Cruise, those guys are going to make more money uh, as an actor than Joe Blow is. You know, Chris Martin and Coldplay is going to make more money than some uh, uh, bar band is going to make in South Carolina. They're both in the same profession, but at the same time, you know, it's it's the level of talent and, and the level of visibility makes for more money for those athletes and those musicians and those actors. So it makes sense. I, so I'm not anti-player here. Um, you know, but, but I, I'm also not saying that the players aren't maybe being a little bit too greedy. We know the owners are greedy. Look, the, 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 Definition of being a businessman is to maximize earning potential, right? No matter what your business is, whether it's selling, you know, widgets or whether it's selling the product of a professional baseball team or football team, et cetera, 
your job as a, as a owner of a business is to maximize earning potential. So it is natural as a business owner that you are going to want to give less to your employees and maximize the money that you are putting in your pocket. That is what being a business owner is. Now, it doesn't mean there aren't exceptions. Of course there are. You know, there are business owners that are are uh, very conscious of how they treat their employees and how much money their employees make and the benefits, you know, but, but that is the exception rather than the rule. You know, what's best is the companies that you have that try to find a balance, that strike a balance between profits and uh, worker welfare. And in an ideal world, that's what we would have. But that's not, we don't have an ideal world. And somebody would want to say, well, that's what socialism's all about. You know what? Socialism doesn't work, folks. Check it. Socialism does not work. You can look at socialist governments around the world, and people could say, well, you know, look in Scandinavia. They, they, uh, it's a socialist government, and look at all the health care and how well they're paid. Have you taken a look at what their tax rates are? The amount of money that you pay out of your salary every week to get those benefits? So there is no perfect system. Socialism is by far not perfect. Capitalism is by far not perfect because capitalism means maximizing income potential. But in a, you know, look, this is, I don't want to go overboard and say that, uh, you know, that baseball is a, uh, a public uh, uh, institution where, you know, where they owe the general public anything. Because at the end of the day, if Major League Baseball uh, cannibalizes itself and ceases to exist, which, by the way, isn't going to happen, but if that were to happen, you know what? The American public would move on and they would find some other kind of entertainment. So it's not like, uh, you know, if we don't have baseball, our society is going to collapse. But having said that, for people like me and uh, uh, baseball fans around the country or any other sport, whatever it happens to be that you're a big fan of, and if, it, if they have a labor negotiation and they're not playing, we don't feel right. I, I'm pissed that I'm not watching spring training games or at least the beginnings of spring training practice and getting ready for the first games that would be getting played uh, here at the, end, uh, the beginning of next week. I'm not happy. You know, so the, the, the comments that are killing the players, I don't get. And especially when you look at this situation and realize that the owners have started it. The owners locked the players out. You know, and I don't mean to keep beating that to death, but that's the, that's the truth. And the fact that the owners are now coming in saying, well, you know, you should accept a, uh, a mediator. When the owners started this to begin with, and the amount of actual talking that has gone on between these sides is non-frickin'-existent, uh, you know, I mean, come on. The, the players absolutely should not accept the mediator. But what we need to see is we need to see some, for God's sake, real negotiation between these two sides. They need to keep talking. And an hour and a half a day ain't going to get it done. And I know they're going to meet again today. Thank God for that. Love it. But they better meet for more than an hour and a half.
because they have made no inroads on much of anything. The, only, the closest we've come to having an agreement is on the uh, the lottery for the number one draft pick at the end of the season to kind of discourage tanking. Um, you know, the, the owners originally said the top three, the players wanted the top eight. Now we're at, I think it's six or seven. And we're, we're, you know, we basically have an agreement on that, that there will be a, some kind of a lottery, which I think is great. But we have no agreement on the luxury tax threshold. We are far, far apart on that. We have no agreement on the minimum salary. We are far, far apart on that. We went through that whole thing yesterday about how the minimum salary in baseball has taken an absolute dump, and it's the worst in professional sports, at least in terms of the top four. How it used to be the best, and it went from being the best to being the worst in 10 years. You know, that's a problem. Uh, so, you know, I'm I'm uh, I'm trying to be optimistic. You know, John Palmarosi was, you know, sounding the optimistic uh, horn yesterday. But again, with MLB Network being kind of a mouthpiece for the league, I wouldn't expect anything else because John Paul knows if he says anything too detrimental, he's probably looking for a job next week. <laughs> um, and then there was this thing this morning in the Associated Press. And uh, look – you don't have to know anything more about this whole thing than to think about this. If if the lockout, uh, you know, continues and we start the regular season, okay, Max Scherzer, who's making a ridiculous amount of money. We've, we've already established that. Max Scherzer will lose $233,000 every day during the regular season that they don't play baseball. $233,000 a day. Now, a lot of money. I get it. But think about this. In three days, okay, he will have lost $699,000. A rookie in Major League Baseball last year made less than $600,000. So in three days, Max Scherzer will lose more money than a rookie made in a freaking year. And that is the problem that we have when you have people, fans, making comments in articles saying this is all about the greedy players. You have to recognize, folks, that the average major league player is not making Max Scherzer money. You have about 30 or 40 guys that are making north of $25 million a year. That's it. And it skews the average salary in Major League Baseball big time. So, and and it's not to say that making six hundred grand a year is making chump change. I get that. You have to separate that from you know your job where you're making forty or fifty thousand dollars a year. You can't compare what you make to what a Major League Baseball player makes. The same way you can't to what an actor makes or what what a what a musician makes. You can't. It's not apples to apples. So, yeah, I get that it's a lot of money. But when you have 30 or 40 guys making obscene amounts of money, and yet the, the majority of the guys in the league 
are making under a couple of million dollars a year, that's a problem. And one of the reasons the players' union is there is to help the people that are at the bottom of the totem pole. They're not going to be able to, to completely close that gap, but they're trying to make it so that the people at the bottom of the rung have a more equitable uh, salary with what other guys in the league are making. That's what the union is for. It's supposed to be to protect the little guy. It's not to protect the people at the top of the food chain. If if look, if this year got canceled completely and Max Scherzer didn't make forty three million dollars and didn't make anything, Max Scherzer would be just fine. Why? Because he's made an ass load of money in his career. And unless he's a dope, he saved money. But B, he's got endorsement contracts, he's got personal uh appearance fees. He will be just fine. His family's not gonna be on the breadline. But a guy like, say, Garrett Whitlock for the Boston Red Sox, a Rule 5 guy last year who made $570,000 and was one of the best relief pitchers in the American League, that's real money to him. If he doesn't have that five hundred and seventy k, he doesn't have the bank account to fall back on that Max Scherzer or Mike Trout or any of those other big, Bryce Harper, any of these other big players have. He doesn't have that. Those people will struggle. And so this isn't about Max Scherzer. It isn't about the fact that he's going to lose $232,000 a day. But let me, how about this? But think about this. So if the, whoever, the league's proposed minimum salary for this coming year, um, $630,000, if the owners had their way, that's what the minimum would be this year. Okay. Uh, they would lose $3,400 a day. Now, think about that. If you are making forty grand a year, that's about what you make in a month. All right? So think about that. You know, these guys would lose a ton of money, and when you are only making, and I know it's it's a relative term, and don't kill me for this, but it's when you are only making 630k, you know, and you've you know, and, and it means you're a rookie, so making that money is new to you. You aren't used to having that kind of money. You know, you're in the minor leagues making thirty thousand dollars a year, maybe forty or fifty if you're at AAA. Think about that. Now, all of a sudden, somebody hands you 570K. So, great. You know, we're set. We're going to go out and buy a new home. We're going to buy a new car. We've got kids. You know, that 570K is, for you and me, that'd be a hell of a windfall. But for these guys, they've struggled their asses off to get where they are. Now they finally look like they've made it. And now you've had the rug pulled out from under you. You now have a brand new home with a huge mortgage. And then, all of a sudden, you don't have any income. Now what? It's not about Max Scherzer. It's about guys like Garrett Whitlock and how they survive. And, you know, so the fans that want to look at the, the guys and saying these are greedy players, you need to check yourself at the door because it would be just like you making 50K a year and the people who are the vice presidents of your country, uh, of your country, of your company, that have been making, you know, uh, 10 times more at what you are trying to tell you, uh, oh, you'll be fine. You'll be fine. They have, you know, they have bank accounts with, you know, 
half a million dollars in there, and you're you're living paycheck to paycheck. But they're trying to tell you, you know, that oh, you'll be fine. You know, uh, you won't be. So you know, the 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 big guys in Major League Baseball will be fine. The little guys are the ones that are going to get killed here. And at some point, it's not about greedy players. It's about owners uh, trying to squeeze the little guy. You know, the, the, a lot of the arguments going on here, folks, are about minimum salaries, right? It's not about Max Scherzer. It's about the little guys. And, and I guess the owners would like Max Scherzer and Mike Trout and those guys to say, well, you know what, uh, tell you what, we're going to give back $10 million a year each uh, so you can pay the little guys. No. No. So it's not greedy players. It's greedy owners. It's 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 uh, it's it's people trying to make a living is what it is. And the owners are going to continue to make money. Look, now the owners are going to lose money. Don't get me wrong. They, they will lose money when this doesn't happen, when the season doesn't start on time. Man, they'll lose a boatload. But they're also billionaires, and they're going to be just fine. Garrett Whitlock and people like him that made the major league minimum salary last year of under $600,000 a year, those are the guys that are not going to be okay. They will be for the short term, but in the long run, they are going to have to make some major adjustments in their lives when there is plenty of money for everybody. Major League Baseball made billions of dollars last year. There is plenty of money out there we just need to get these two teams or these two sides together to agree to divvy it up equitably. You know, uh, you know, to me, the, the, uh, and this is, this is the, they haven't even ad- addressed the luxury tax threshold. I mean, they're, they're about $30 million a year apart. That hasn't even been addressed, but at the, at the end of the day, the players are going to have to back off of that. They are. Look, it's a de facto salary cap. There's no question about that, but you know, the players are going to have to let that go. There's going to be a luxury tax that's going to be what the owners want it to be. Now, the owners have, I mean, there was a, an original thought was they wanted it like at $186 million, which is would have been a $30 million uh, decrease per team, uh, which would have been ridiculous. Um, you know, and the owners have agreed now to, to go up a little bit from what last year was. And look, if they're willing to do that, and that, look, the the players may have to suck that up, just like in the NBA and the NFL and the NHL. There are salary caps. There's never been one in baseball, but there is a de facto one now. You can still go over it, but it hurts. But the players are going to have to accept that that is the way of the world now. When it comes to professional sports, every league, every league in the, in North America has it. So why shouldn't Major League Baseball? Other than the fact that the Major League Baseball uh, Players Association has had. Uh, an inordinate amount of power over the years. And I'm not saying, again, this isn't saying that players are being greedy. They're just going to have to recognize uh, that there's been a paradigm shift and that the way of the world now is salary cap. And they're, they're, they're still giving teams the option to go over. You know, in the NFL, it's a hard cap. You know, in, uh, in the NBA, it's a hard cap. In Major League Baseball, it's not. You know, they can say the luxury tax threshold is 210, but if the Dodgers want to spend $300 million, which is what they did, they can do that. It's going to pay. They're going to have to pay for, it to, for the right to do so, but they can do that. 
And the players are going to have to accept that, and they're going to have to accept that the that that amount is going to be, you know, I mean, there's obviously some room for some negotiation. The, the, the owners can't go as far south as they wanted to. But the players are going to have to accept that that is the way of the world now, and it's not going to change. But let's hope there's more progress today than there was yesterday because that was about uh, as discouraging as it gets. You know, there was a glimmer of hope for us on Monday, and then yesterday it was like somebody pulled the rug out. It's 33 minutes past the hour. We're going to take a break. We're back in a minute. You're listening to The Wake Up Call on Sports Country. It is 35 minutes past the hour. Welcome back to The Wake Up Call on a Wednesday morning. Uh, Just one last baseball note before uh, we move on. Uh, I guess this is better news. Uh, If you're a Yankee fan, uh, they are going to retire uh, Paul O'Neill's number in August, his number 21. That's providing we have a season, although I'm fairly certain we will, but... Uh, Paul O'Neill will become the 23rd player or manager in Yankee franchise history to have his uniform number retired. Uh, there are only, after they retire O'Neill's number, there are only going to be 10 numbers between 1 and 25 that have not been retired by the Yankees. Uh, you know, and you can argue all day if you want whether his number should be retired or not, but look, he was, I mean, he was on some great Yankee teams. Um, uh, Hit over 300 for six straight years uh, between 1993 and 98. Uh, led the league in hitting in 1994 at 359. Four all-star teams. Uh, and they won uh, the World Series in 96, 98, 99, and 2000. I mean, he was part. He was an integral part of that. So he will have his number retired. Uh, uh, good for him, you know, I guess. And, you know, not a bad broadcaster either. Uh, one of the guys, I couldn't stand him. Of course, being a Red Sox fan, I couldn't stand most people in the Yankees. But, uh, but boy, he's one of those guys that whether you liked them or not, um, as an as an opposing uh, opposing uh, teammate or opposing player, you had to uh, tip your cap to the way the guy played the game. He played it as hard as he could possibly could. He there was no question he was giving full effort every day. So uh, Paul O'Neill's number would be retired in uh, April. Um, the other another big mess going on in the world of sports in addition to the uh, the Major League Baseball lockout is what's going on uh, in the PGA. And, you know, a lot of people say, ah, golf, who cares? I mean, I, look, I personally well, love watching golf. Uh, I love playing golf. I stink at it, but I enjoy playing it. Um, but Phil Mickelson has dug himself uh, a hole and a half um, over this whole uh, – proposed breakaway league that was being backed by the Saudi Arabian government and uh, Greg Norman, uh, former PGA great, uh, was kind of uh, uh, spearheading this thing. And Phil Mickelson uh, was uh, interested, not not just interested. He was like, hey, you know what? He said, uh, you know, the, uh, the PGA Tour is a dictatorship and we need to do something. And, you know, but then he goes off and says things like, you know, you know, these are some scary uh, mother, you know, what's. You know, that uh, that they, they kill Jamal Khashoggi and, you know, they kill people for being gay and it's a repressive government and yada, yada, yada. But, but I, hey, look, I'll be happy to take their money, right? You know, I mean, it, it's just dumb. Um, and now, of course, you know, he's been getting absolutely killed. And at last week's tournament, uh, golf tournament, Justin Thomas released a, a statement saying that he wasn't interested. Bryson DeChambeau uh, said that uh, he was staying with the PGA Tour. There was Those were a couple of names that have been floated out that people that might be interested. Um, and, and let's be fair, without some big names, that 
that alternate league ain't going to happen. You know, there was uh, some reports that uh, Bryson DeChambeau was going to be offered a $130 million contract to join that league. And he has basically said, no, I'm not going to do it. Uh, and, you know, all along there have been guys like Justin Thomas and Rory McIlroy going after Phil Mickelson and just saying, you know, you're, you're an idiot. You know, you're egotistical. You're, you know, uh, just killing them. Well, of course, now uh, with all the, the, the furor going on right now, Phil Mickelson has walked back a lot of his comments. And now all of a sudden he is saying that um, all the comments that have been attributed to him, he said them, but they were said off the record and they were taken out of context, out, out of context. And, you know, they shouldn't have been out there, yada, yada, yada. Look, he gave an interview. And uh, according to the author, that these these uh, <laughs> these were not. He was never told that these were supposed to be off the record. Alan Shipnuck is his name, uh, and he and he wrote on his. Uh, he's got a, uh, a blog called the Fire Pit Collective, and that's where he published Mickelson comment comments last week. And he said not once did he say our conversation was off the record or on background or just between us or any said or anything even remotely like that. He said he simply opened up a vein and he poured out a whole bunch of crap. And now, uh, he's, uh, he's lost a sponsor. His biggest sponsor, uh, has bailed. They said it was a, uh, mutual agreement. Uh, but, uh, KPMG, uh, is the first of his two uh, sponsors to jump ship. Now, Mickelson has said that he has given all of his sponsors uh, the option to terminate their contracts. He, he, you know, he went on uh, the uh, Mea Culpa tour yesterday uh, in the media and said, oh, I'm sorry, you know, and, and uh, I need to do better, and I got to take some time away from golf now and, you know, reevaluate myself and do this and do that and do everything else. Uh, come on. You know, at the end of the day, Phil Mickelson opened his mouth, picked up a gun, shot himself in the foot, and now is saying, oh, I didn't mean to. You know, this is no different than, you know, uh, you know a player or a coach losing his mind in a press conference or losing his mind after the game. Ask, uh, ask Juwan Howard what happened in the uh, – the Wisconsin game. I mean, this is just sometimes people say stupid that we all do it. As I said yesterday, how many times in an argument have you said something you regretted the second it came out of your mouth? You know, and, and I think Phil Mickelson got a little carried away with his sense of importance and, and the fact that he thought that he was above everything and that he could say whatever he wanted because I'm Phil Mickelson. And look, you know, uh, let's be fair. Phil Mickelson, and, and I love Phil Mickelson. Love him. He was one of my favorite golfers. Phil Mickelson's a guy I met at the Travelers Championship up in Connecticut. Um, I covered it for years, um, and and you know with the media, and I, I used to go to the event. But there was a and there was a time I was there, uh, and I was heading out to my car, and I was walking through the players area, and he was coming out, and he was signing autographs, and you know I just kind of looked for a second, and I started to move on, and he said, "Hey, did did you want my autograph too?" And I said, "No," <laughs> and he kind of. And I said, I, what I'd like is to shake your hand. And he just, you know, he kind of shook his head a little bit like, what? And then he said, hey, that's cool. And he came over and he shook my hand and, you know, asked me about who I was. And I told him. And we were, so, you know, we had about a 15-second exchange. 
that's my that's my uh, uh, that's my contact with Phil Mickelson. It's not like we're buddies. All right, but I just always loved the way he played. I loved his persona when he was on the golf course. This was a guy that was is not afraid to try something unorthodox, you know. And uh, he's a gambler in, in more than one way. In more than one way, I mean, he he likes to gamble uh, money, but he also was a gambler on the golf course, and it's one of the things I always admired about him. It's one of the reasons why I like, for instance, Bubba Watson. I like guys that are on. Uh, that are playing a game and say, you know what, screw it, I'm going to try this shot. And if it works, great. If it doesn't, well, you know, it's on me. Uh, so I always enjoyed the way he played. But now, you know, look, and and you look at his resume, you know, and he has the resume to speak to the way the PGA Tour runs. And, 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 and I'm not saying that he shouldn't have considered what was going on in Saudi Arabia, but at the same time, he took a flamethrower to the PGA and to his reputation and to everything that he's built up over the years. And he's going to have a hard time recovering from this. I mean, it doesn't mean he's not ever going to be able to play golf again. Although the PGA tour might suspend him for this. It's going to be interesting to see how that goes. Uh, they don't, they don't uh, talk about that publicly, but it would not shock me if he was suspended. Maybe there's, maybe there's already been some private conversations with Phil and the time that the quote unquote time that he is taking to uh, make himself better uh, or to think things through is going is kind of a uh, uh, nod by the PGA Tour. Hey, look, take six months off, and we won't make a big deal out of this. But if you don't, we're going to formally suspend you. Would not surprise me if that's part of what's going on here. But, I mean, look, this is a guy uh, who was the last amateur to win on the PGA Tour. Think about that for a minute, you know. Uh, you know and he won his sixth major at, at the age of 50. Right. I mean, but now, you know, and everybody loved him. He was at the top and now he just crapped all over everything. It's a shame. So, uh, you know, we won't hear from Phil for a while. It's probably okay. Uh, A couple of NHL things from last night. Uh, uh, The Nashville Predators, uh, my, my new hometown team. Uh, snapped a four-game skid last night. Uh, they beat the Florida Panthers 6-4. Uh, they're back in a wild-card spot uh, in the Western Conference, 62 points. They're three behind Minnesota in the Central. Uh, look, this is a team that not long ago was at the top of their division. And since that time, they have taken a nosedive. At one point, they had won like 10 out of 11 or you know, and – and uh, we're riding high, and in the last uh, three or four weeks, it has been a slog for them. Uh, but a, uh, a Michael Granlin uh, go-ahead goal in the third period, and uh, they snap a four-game losing streak. So they needed that one without question. Uh, the Minnesota Wild lose last night to the Ottawa Senators 4-3. to three. Uh, Minnesota one behind St. Louis in the Central. The Blues win yesterday. They beat the uh, Philadelphia Flyers 4-1. to one. Uh, Vladimir Tarashenko with the go-ahead goal in the third period. Uh, they got an empty netter late in that one. And uh, the uh, Anaheim Ducks with a 4-3 shootout win over the uh, San Jose Sharks last night. Uh, Anaheim right now tied for uh, the last wild card spot in the Western Conference with the L.A. Kings. So uh, uh, a much-needed win for them yesterday. It is 47 minutes past. Yeah, we're going to take a break. When we come back... A basketball game for the ages last night. Uh, 
and this isn't my old uh, you know, Connecticut uh, bias coming through. What a great game last night between UConn and Villanova. We'll talk about that when we come back. You're listening to The Wake Up Call on Sports Country. It is 49 minutes past the hour. Welcome back to The Wake Up Call on a Wednesday morning. Just a few minutes left here uh, as uh, we get ready to start our day down here in North Carolina. Wanted to get out and do some construction out in the garden today. I got my first garden bed uh, built yesterday. Eight more to go. Uh, plus the fencing and all kinds of others. I got a lot of work ahead of me, but uh, I think today's going to be a washout. It was uh, a little soggy out there and it's uh, still raining at the moment, but uh, uh, we shall see. Uh, sat up last night, watched UConn play Villanova. The game was on uh, Fox FS1, which was great. I mean, I've been able to watch UConn a lot more down here uh, than I had expected. It was a game, uh, a statement game for the UConn Huskies last night. Uh, number 21, UConn. Number 8, Villanova. UConn wins it. 71-69. It was a sold-out XL Center, the old Hartford Civic Center. The place was packed. They rushed the court when it was over. It was so funny. My wife was working. She gets home, and it's late in the game, and she's looking at the stands, and she's like, yeah, there's no social distancing going on there. And I, I said, yeah, those. I think those days are, are long over. And, and, and it was so weird. They're storming the court after the game. And it's this massive humanity. There's one person with a mask on. She said, well, there's the only guy that won't get COVID. <laughs> That's that's where we are today. But anyway, uh, great game, and it was a, kind of an improbable win for UConn. Look, they played well the entire game, but they were down four with uh, 20 seconds to go. And then R.J. Cole uh, with this uh, driving uh, underhanded layup with uh, 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 a few seconds left in the game. And uh, then uh, Connor Gillespie comes down, and then Cole takes a charge on at the other end. Smallest guy on the floor takes a charge. Now, it was an iffy call. Uh, no question about it. It's one of those you watched it on replay, and you say, well, yeah, there was contact, but there was also some reaching going on, not with R.J. Cole, but with uh, uh, another one of the defenders was there. You could make a case that perhaps uh, – uh, the call could have gone the other way, and I'm sure Villanova fans are saying exactly that today. But uh, he gets called for the charge. Uh, UConn gets the ball, uh, and then uh, uh, a foul after that, and then Andre Jackson goes to the line with UConn up one. He makes the first one with 1.1 seconds to go, intentionally misses the second one, so the clock uh, starts to run, the horn goes off, and uh, all hell breaks loose. Uh, Adama Sonogo, another huge game for UConn. Uh, 20 points. Uh, look, Villanova played well. There's no question. They shot the ball well. I think they shot like 45% from three-point range. Um, but they turned the ball over too much. UConn forced 14 turnovers in this game, and the Huskies uh, win it. And I'll tell you what, if they had lost this game, you did not have to look any farther than what happened with six minutes to go in the first half, and that's when UConn coach Danny Hurley was ejected. Uh, after a foul call, he slams his hand down on the scorer's table, punched it, and got teed up. And he's pissed off that he got teed up, so he starts yelling at the referees. And Adama Sonogo is coming over to him and trying to calm him down, say, Coach, we need you. You know, he's playing peacemaker, and, and he kind of pushes his coach back to the bench. And you see Hurley kind of laugh about what Sonogo said to him. So you're figuring, okay, calmer heads are going to prevail. So what does Hurley do? He turns around and then starts throwing his hands up in the air to get the crowd even more pumped up. That pissed the officials off. They teed him up. He's gone. Now, he deserved the first tech. The second one, uh, this is one of those where the officials needed to let that go. 
I mean, that was just stupid. I've seen that happen time and time again when coaches uh, turn to the fans and just get the fans continue to pump them up. There's, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. But the officials, a uh, little thin-skinned in the first half, so they eject Hurley. Well, so then, of course, a bunch of free throws ensue, right? Uh, they make uh, three of the four technical foul free throws against the UConn head coach, and then they nail a three, and it's a six-point possession for Villanova. They go from losing, from losing to all of a sudden being up by five points. Now, give UConn a lot of credit. They, they immediately responded. They, they tied the game up. They led the game by one and a half. They won this game uh, without their head coach. Kamani Young did a great job. The associate head coach, been at UConn for a few years now, did a great job uh, down the stretch, designing a couple of plays that uh, with uh, Tyler Polly three, and then, of course, the, uh, the play, uh, the isolation play for R.J. Cole that led to the, uh, the winning bucket for the Huskies. Uh, he did a great job. But Danny Hurley's got to learn to control himself. Look, I love Danny Hurley's fire. You know, he is a character. There's no question about it, but that's part of the Hurley genes. You know, his, his brother Bobby's the same way. His father was the same way. They're fiery people. But Danny's got to learn to control himself uh, a little bit more. He could have cost his team the game last night. Now, having said that, I think he does a great job, and I think he has done a remarkable job rebuilding that program. And now UConn, with that win, uh, they're obviously going to move up in the rankings, and they get to play Georgetown this week. Georgetown stinks. Um, they are only a game behind Villanova for second place in the division or in the conference. And that gives them a lead over Creighton by a half a game. They play Creighton next week. If they beat Creighton, UConn ends up as a second or third place team in the Big East. They guarantee themselves a, a bye in the first round of the Big East tournament. And they have a 20. Now they've won 20 games. First time that UConn has won 20 games, I believe, since uh, 2016. And it's the first time, by the way, they've beaten Villanova uh, since 2014. Uh, when they beat uh, Villanova was the number two seed. UConn went on, of course, to win their fourth national championship. But uh, what a great game. I mean, it was just just fun to watch. And I got to be honest, when UConn went down four or five with about 30 seconds to go, I said, ah, they're done. I was ready to turn the TV off. I'm really glad I didn't. <laughs> and as, a, as somebody who was a former basketball coach, you know, a college basketball coach, high school basketball, I should know better. Right, anything can happen, and I'll tell you what, uh, Tyler Polly hitting that three uh, was unbelievable. You know, and and Villanova, who's a great free throw shooting team, they missed the front end of a one and one down the stretch, which uh, actually led to the R.J. Cole bucket. So, uh, great game. It, you know, that is one of those things. If you're the NCAA, that is one of those you want to bottle and say this is what's great about our game. That was so much fun. That's going to do it for us here this morning. Uh, no show tomorrow. We'll be back on Friday with another edition of the Wake Up Call. We leave you this morning with some music from Garth Brooks, The Thunder Rolls. Have a great day. We'll see you on Friday. You've been listening to the Wake Up Call on Sports Country.